With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Pour one more beer for me. Exile needs quality. So savagely. Best beer in all the land. Brewed with a loving hand. From bottle, keg, or can. Exile Brewing. E-X-I-L-E. For me. E-X-I-L-E. Let's drink. Crack open a Zoltan today. Enjoy your podcast john miller along with rob howe and uh rob we a little bit more higher tech this week last week things kind of sounded rough so i'm still in my car but i've got my microphone things should be pretty good and um want to say thank you to exile brewing company for being the sponsor of this podcast as always and also welcome heartland flagpoles and flags this week to the podcast and website a new sponsor thank you to them and it's thanks to all of you listening to this that allows us to do that we had over 40,000 average listeners per podcast last week a new high for us with regards to the average and a lot of you are sports fans listening whether it's Iowa Iowa State uh, Cubs Royals whomever whatever team they have a flag for it we'll be talking more about them a little bit later on in this installment of the podcast so Rob uh, you were over there last week in Jack Trice Uh, I've read a lot of what you've written about it we've both written said some things i want to hear your commentary from what you saw over there in ames i think it was the best iowa iowa state game of my lifetime i don't know what you think yeah i, I mean what was the other what was there a triple overtime game was that, that was 2011 the, there was triple overtime in 2011 i think it was like you know I don't know what it was at the end of regulation, maybe 24-24. Iowa State had three turnovers. Iowa had one. To me, that wasn't a, that wasn't a well-played game. It was exciting for how it finished, but the first 60 minutes weren't exciting. To me, the, the, the best game before this one was the 0-2 game. And, yeah, Iowa had some turnovers in the second half that allowed Iowa State to get back. But, really, Seneca Wallace just played like a witch, and, and that was the best well-played game, in my opinion, that I had ever seen in this series. This one topped it. Yeah, I would agree. Um, 0-1 was an exciting game. I yeah. just those 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 the times when they're close and they they both teams play well. As you said, that's that's kind of when you you remember them the most. Um, I kind of remember that 0-11 game because uh, of Steel Jans and just kind of the flukiness of that game. But um, Saturday was just. It was fun. It was fun start to finish. You had, you know, ebb and flow, one team taking the lead, the other one going ahead. It looked like, okay, you know, Iowa's up 21 to 10. They're in control of the game. Um, And then Iowa State comes back, and then Iowa State goes up by 10. You know, Iowa comes back in the fourth quarter. Um, But to me, from I think what we talked about last week and what I wrote about in my prediction, I think my prediction was like 23 to 17. There were a lot of things in that game that I didn't see coming. Uh, first and foremost was Iowa State's def- uh, offense just pretty much having its way with Iowa's defense throughout the day um, up until the end of the game, um, especially after Iowa the week, the first week against Josh Allen and Wyoming. I mean, they were just 
they were lights out, and they just – I don't know if it was the matchup with Iowa State with the wide receivers and having linebackers on receivers. And, you know, we've been through this for years. We've talked about the matchups with Iowa State. Um, but they were able to exploit Iowa quite a bit. Um, and I was I was particularly, dis, you know, I wouldn't say disappointed, but surprised that the defensive line didn't do better. I thought they were, were really solid in week one. Um, and they needed to be last week, and we talked about that last Wednesday. Um, that they needed to get some type of pass rush because the defensive backs just have a tough time with Butler um, and uh, Lazard, and it, and it showed up. I mean, it's just hard to cover guys that are six five and six six when you're five ten, you know, six foot. So that, to me, moving forward, is the biggest question mark for me. Is is can Iowa's defense rebound from what happened last week? And I know I know they don't play a lot of offenses like that in the Big Ten. But they play two pretty high-powered offenses the next two weeks in North Texas and Penn State. So we'll see if they've figured things out, um, you know, in the next couple weeks. And then in terms of, you know, Iowa's offense, they played better than I thought they would against Iowa State. I thought, you know, uh, they looked as, as, you know, it just the the way Brian Ferentz is mixing up plays and personnel, um, it's kind of John what we thought about coming into the season. Could he make? Could he create mismatches? Could he keep the defenses guessing? And I think he's doing that. He is, and that certainly was one of my biggest takeaways. Yeah, the offensive performance by Iowa on Saturday was to me the biggest surprise of the game. I, I wasn't surprised that Iowa State went for over 400 yards. I said when I was watching the Northern Iowa-Iowa State game the previous week, I said that I thought Jacob Park would have 45 or more passes against Iowa. He had 46. And Montgomery playing well did not surprise me. I will also say, and I really believe this, I don't think Iowa will face a more dangerous one-two punch at wide receiver than Butler and Lazard for the rest of the season. I'm not saying they're not going to play teams that aren't capable of hurting them. Penn State has playmakers, but they have them receiver, tight end, running back. But I don't – Iowa State's receiving core with talent is as deep as what Iowa will see all season long. And that includes Ohio State because I'm not impressed with them in their passing game. And I think Urban Meyer's trying to force feed a passing game when he doesn't have to. But that's a topic for another show and another day. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm not I'm not overly concerned about Iowa's defense. I think that Iowa, the you're right. The next two weeks, there's some pretty potent offenses on the schedule that won't look anything like one another because North Texas is an air raid set up with smaller receivers. Penn State still likes to play pro, play action, not dissimilar to Iowa, but, but with maybe an overall better collection of skill skill position players, a higher caliber at this point in time. I think that Iowa, Iowa did well enough against the run with their front four that, in my opinion, in most weeks they might be able to get away with playing more nickel if they do really have coverage deficiencies in the back end. And when they went up 21-10 in the third quarter against Iowa State, where two of their previous three drives were like 90 yards or longer, 11 and 10 plays, 5.04 and 5.05 of elapsed time, I was tweeting at that time that I really wanted to see Iowa go to a nickel at that point, but they didn't. So I'm not necessarily too worried about it. I tweeted out late last night, Tuesday night, I tweeted a box score from the 2004 defense. And it was the Arizona State game where Iowa gave up over 500 yards, um, over 400 yards passing. 
It was 44-7. to Iowa's offense gained 100 yards in the nose, and the only reason they scored was on a late Walner Bellis you know, kick return. And, yep. and that team had eight of its 11 starters make 53-man rosters. Eight of its 11 defensive starters made 53-man NFL rosters. And it's arguably the best defense of the Ferentz era, which also means it's one of the best in school history. So I'm not ready to go crazy yet. I, I know that I'm not saying that you are going crazy either and writing them off. I'm just not as concerned about it because maybe I expected that sort of thing to happen. Yeah, and I didn't see Iowa State the first week, and maybe they are better on the offensive line because they were atrocious last year. But I, I thought Iowa's defensive line would have more of an advantage against Iowa State's more offense. of a pass rush. Yeah, yeah. I mean, AJ I, AJ played what five more snaps this week than the previous week. He had fifteen he, this week. He needs to play more, John. He just he does, and I I know I, I get that he's got to earn his time, and he doesn't have everything down. He's just a difference maker when he's in there. He is, and, and Rob, I'm convinced of this. I don't. No one's told me this, but I'm I'm convinced of it. I think that he's probably struggling with containment in the yep. running game. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, his outside shoulder technique is not there yet, and that's the only reason why he's not playing more snaps. And the coaches aren't dummies. They see when he's in. I mean, whenever AJ comes in on his 15, I watch him solely. I just only watch him during the game, and. He'll learn more rushing techniques, but right now he's got an upfield speed bull combination speed bull rush, and he he lifts three hundred pounders off the ground. I mean he's he he collapses the pocket even if he's not getting a sack, he is collapsing the pocket. So I agree, he definitely it'd be great to see him out there more. I just think it's a containment issue for him. Yeah, and I would hope with senior linebackers you could kind of aid him in that right. and, and kind of coach him up on that as the game's going on. He just blew Campos away on the one play. I mean, Campos was like stu- – and Campos is a, a, a pretty good left tackle, and A.J. just blew past him like he was standing still on the one play where he and Nelson got to right. got to park. And I was like, wow. Um but yeah, I mean, it's fortunate they don't have to. They don't have to force him in there. Um, they're doing some good things with some other guys, and and hopefully they they pulled some things out of that Iowa State game in terms of being able to get to the quarterback uh, that will help them going forward. I think another issue last week, maybe the game plan was to play him more snaps. Maybe they wanted to get him in more run looks, but they couldn't because yeah. Iowa State's tempo is such when if they're getting positive yards on a down or they complete a pass, they are coming up to the line of scrimmage right away. Now, it's when they when they had an incompletion on second down or it was second and long and they needed to take more time to get their play call in, that's when Iowa was able to substitute. Remember early in that game, Iowa got flagged for an illegal substitution, 12 men on the field. Yeah. So I, I think that that could have hampered it. They'll see more of that this week. Penn State doesn't go crazy tempo like that, and then certainly at, you know Michigan State doesn't do that, and um, you know Purdue probably will though. Northwestern does go up tempo, so yeah, you'd like to see him be able to take more shifts than just a uh, a rushing specialist. But as some people point out in the NFL, you have a lot of that on third and long. You bring in four defensive ends along the line, but this team certainly needs him there. Um, Akram Wadley's performance. I've I've been watching Iowa games since 1981 I, that I can remember, and that play that he had, the 46-yard touchdown, was certainly among the top 10 best singular efforts I can ever recall by an Iowa player. 
Yeah, it was crazy. Um, <laughs> James Daniels said this after the game when I was talking to him. He was like, you know, I was watching. He got past me, and I was watching him downfield, and I was just yelling, get out of bounds. And that's what I was thinking in the press box, get out of bounds. Um, and then Wadley said after it, I was tired, man. I didn't feel like stopping. I wanted to just get finished with so I could go rest. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> and, and I think that was one of the plays. And then another long run he had in the first half, John, where he yeah. really finishing his runs, where the, I, the defensive back came up on him, and he – lowered a shoulder and took the guy down that's impressive i mean that's what he like you said what he does and and you know we've all talked about it kirk talked about it yesterday you can't coach it it's just a natural thing with him it's innate ability um but he's worked hard to get better and there was all of that in that that 46 yard touchdown there was speed elusiveness power i mean it was all there in that one play it really was and you know kirk yesterday we recorded this on Wednesday on Tuesday at his press conference I mean Kirk is the guy that brought up Ronnie Harmon right and um, when when Kirk Ferentz brings up a Ronnie Harmon comparison I mean because I I mean before Kirk re-explained it all on Tuesday we've known that there are not many football players that Kirk holds in higher regard than Ronnie Harmon Um, you know other than that big you know Ogden lineman for Baltimore that he loves to reference as well I mean Ronnie Harmon's about it and and for him to mention Wadley in the same breath as him that's that's high praise yeah he apparently I don't know when it was um, some of the reporters asked Akram about it before asking Kirk about it um, yesterday um, that Kirk had given Akram film of, of Ronnie, I think before the season, not only as, you know, you know, the comparisons of what they do and they're not exactly similar, but they're, they're both playmakers and just kind of what they need from him. They, they need that type of, you know, impact on their offense from, from Akram this year, the, the way Ronnie impacted Iowa's offense when he played. Right. And, I think that was the point he was trying to get across, that you can do this for our team. Right, yep. I mean, Akram's faster than Ronnie was. Uh, Ronnie had this, you know, Ronnie and Akram had similar stop and go. I would say Ronnie had a little more power finish at the end. But as you pointed out earlier, and as I recall from a couple of plays the previous week against Wyoming, he's putting helmets in the middle of guys' shoulder pads at the end of runs, violent finishes. And I think that was a quote that he gave you guys either yesterday or following the Iowa State game that Chris Doyle was talking to him about all summer long is violent finish, finish strong at the end of a play. And that's how Ronnie did it. And uh, so far, so good for Akram. How impressed were you with Nate Stanley? I mean, I was I was pretty dang impressed. Yeah, just, I mean, not only the plays that he made, but just the composure. Yeah. And it's, we've seen other guys go into that environment and, and not fare as well as he did. Um, Drew Tate? Yeah, Drew Tate comes to mind uh, in 05. But, yeah, just – he just really had control. He looked like he was in control that whole game, um, you know, and, and, and whatever they needed to do, he was able to do it. He missed some deep balls that will come with practice reps. He, he's trying to get on the same page as his receivers. People got to remember that he split reps throughout August 
with, with Tyler Wiggers. So he's still working on getting, you know, all of those first team reps and getting on, you know, getting rapports with his receivers and tight ends and those will come. Um, but he, he, he's, he's pretty darn impressive for a, so, a true sophomore starting, uh, you know, on the, his first road game at Iowa state. I, I was, I was certainly impressed. Yep. No doubt about that. Um, let's talk about, uh, North Texas and, as I mentioned earlier, offensively, they're from the Mike Leach air raid family, which up-tempo, four or five receivers on nearly every play. The running game is going to be more draws. Their, their short passing game is what sets up their running game. I mean, they put up a ton of yards in one of their two games this year against the scrub team and also a ton of yards against Southern Methodist in a game that they lost something like 50-something to 30-something. And then defensively they play a 3-4 look so this is quite a I think a departure in preparation even though Iowa State was up tempo would go four and five wide this is a different feel yeah this is um and uh Mason Fine their quarterback is is a good quarterback um he's he can he can run with the ball he throws it well um and as you said they're going to spread Iowa out and I think Iowa's got to try some nickel and dime this week. I, I don't see how they can stay in base against this team the whole way um, and and expect their linebackers to cover receivers all day. Um, I think they'll mix it up a little bit. Um, they last week last week's game against against SMU probably would have been closer had they not turned the ball over. Um, they had three turn three I think three turnovers that led to 21 points for SMUs. Mm. That game was could have been closer, um, and it's supposed to be hot as heck on Saturday. Right. Were, I knew this was coming. I, I knew it wouldn't last. I knew we would get at least one one more shot of this before uh, summer said goodbye. That we'd get some 90s, and it looks like it's going to be that on Saturday. So with an up tempo offense, uh, that will be somewhat of a challenge. Their one receiver, Jalen Guyton, is really good. Um, I think he's averaging like 25 yards a catch this year. He's, he's really a dangerous guy in space and also in, with the ability to get deep. Um, and, and as you said, Seth Luttrell is a he's a disciple of Mike Leach. He played. He was on the national championship team of Oklahoma in 2000 with Bob Stoops. Uh, he was the offensive co- coordinator at Arizona uh, when Arizona beat Iowa in 2010. Uh, he was the offensive coordinator at Indiana in 2012 when Indiana beat Iowa down in Bloomington. Um, so he has a history with Iowa. He knows what he's getting into. So he'll have his team prepared. Boy, that's. That's kind of disappointing to hear all those, <laughs> all those games. But you know, I, I think you know. Returning to our Epinesa conversation real quickly, I, I bet he gets twenty-five plus snaps this week, given how many plays they're going to have, given how many really passing opportunities. I mean, they're going to throw the ball fifty plus times, or that I, I, I will be surprised if they don't. So I, I think we'll see more of Epinesa this week, given just their overall style of play offensive line sure. go uh, offense sure. go ahead i was just i was just going to throw in they they averaged 79 plays a game through the first two weeks yeah. hey believe it offense. believe it or not iowa's average is now 69 yeah. um and last year they were in the lower 60s you know in the opening week they had 54 or 56 La- i i was shocked when i saw this was it 82 or 83 plays for iowa against iowa state and i think they only had four or five in the overtime so they were in the high 70s at the end of regulation yeah that was a track meet that was 
<laughs> I was a track meet. Um, yeah, I was just chuckling about you talking about the 90 degree day because you're going to be out shooting photos. <laughs> yeah, that's really funny. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, that's like a built in 10 pound, pound weight loss day for it you. It will be, yeah, especially with that new turf with all the nice new rubber oh. stuff that's down there. It'll just be an oven down there. How I may just. I mean, we make the first quarter. How hot is that down there sitting there on that turf? It's warm. It's really warm. I mean, it was – and even the Wyoming game, and I know the Wyoming players aren't used to it as much, but they were huffing a little bit, and that was a cooler day. And they still had the fans going with – it's just warmer. That It just absorbs that sun and just makes it into an oven. You know, I'm not, I'm not trying to look for concern, but maybe I am. You know – it's been a really cool August and September. Iowa has had very few days where they've practiced probably north of 85 degrees. And North Texas, they have. So that'll definitely, you know, fatigue might definitely be something to watch. Um, Ike Becker, uh, done for this season and likely done for his career. Kirk mentioning that Tristan Wirfs likely has to play now. It sounded like had Wirfs not got hurt in their late in camp, he was almost playing too well to keep him out. Didn't is that kind of what you picked up from Kirk on Tuesday? Yeah, I mean it sounded like as you said before he got hurt, he was like pushing to to, to definitely be in that rotation. He said Kirk said something to the effect of um, he looks good a lot, and there's some times where he looks extremely good, but it's just a consistency thing, um, which is which is normal for a true freshman, especially on the offensive line. But it sounded like he t- that one week that he was out really cost him. Kirk said it was like a um, it seemed like it was a month for you know in terms of development time for him to get back into the groove. But he's now had two or three weeks to do that, and it sounds like he's getting back to where he was. So. You know, I think they're going to go with this line uh, this week with, you know, from left to right, Alaric Jackson. Um, on the left side, Ross Reynolds. Ross Reynolds and Boone. Ross Reynolds is, is slated to start, but I think Boone will move in at left guard too. Those guys will rotate. Daniels, Render, Render yeah. uh, Sean Welsh at right tackle. But I could see at some point, Welsh kicking back into that right guard spot and Worfs being at that right tackle. And I think that'll happen this week in some form. I don't know if Welsh will be the right guard, but I think they'll I think they take the red shirt off this week with Worfs and get him in there against against North Texas just to kind of get him ready for Big Ten. Yeah, and wouldn't it be something if Iowa ends the the year this year with uh Worf starting at right tackle and Alaric Jackson starting at left tackle and that, you know, that would bode well for for next year's offense and you know i'm sick like this and i know some of you will absolutely hate what i'm about to say rob you may as well but i'm always looking forward and that's not at the you know expense of the present i just like looking forward i like looking at what potential rosters can look like a year down the road and you know iowa had to return a ton of experience on this year's offensive line if james daniels comes back for his senior year and I do think that he'll have a decision to make this offseason but if he comes back for that senior year um, Reynolds is also back next year I believe he's just a junior um, Render, Keegan Render is also just a junior am I right on that? Yes Yeah. and then you would have Jackson and Wirfs at tackle with James Daniels I mean 
And you still have the Paulsons that are that have been dinged up but are still kind of in the system and getting ready. Um, I've heard really good things about Mark Kallenberger from Bettendorf, um, and he could get himself into that mix next year as well. Um, they've, they're starting to build some depth on that offensive line for the future. And um, you think about with Nate Stanley coming back for two more years, if you can get that offensive line to the point where it's going to get – it gets into the point where it can just continue to replace guys – um, and they've got a, a, a nice group of young running backs too. So yeah, that's uh, what I was going to say. I mean, you you realistically could return eight offensive starters. Yeah, and you would basically lose Vandenberg, Akram Wadley, um, and then maybe one lineman. Obviously, Butler gone too. But it's not like Iowa's cupboard is bare at running back and all the experience you're going to have at tight end and wide receiver this year. Dare I say, looking ahead, that Iowa's offense could be pretty exciting next year. But let's just Sounds leave. Like- Sounds like Max Cooper's also going to play. I was kind of surprised by that. I was just I asked about the punters yesterday, and he said Cooper was looking good. And I said, "Do you think he'll play this year?" And Kirk was, "Yep, I do think he'll play." So I think he'll probably lose his red shirt this year as well. So that'll be three of the true freshmen that have played this year. And obviously, Amir Smith Marset looks like a pretty good catch. Uh, oh my uh, gosh! Yeah, to be able to overcome that f- first week fumble and come back and. And be able to put that game together on the road last week, and I, Brandon Smith played quite a bit the other day too. I, I was surprised when I went back and watched the watched the tape. He he got plenty of reps. He didn't get any uh, you know targets, but I think he's starting to move forward as well. I'll be interesting to see because uh, he's as we've talked about before, John. He's kind of a different. Um, body type than a lot of guys that they have right now. He's more of that six three, six four, kind of like a. I'm not going to compare him to Butler and Lazard, but kind of that type of receiver. If you kind of mix him in now, uh, makes things interesting. Little Mo Brown body is what I kind of think yeah. back to, but. Heartland Flagpoles and Flags has flags of various shapes and sizes, banners, wind socks, and more of nearly every team and every sport. That's college, NFL, MLB, NBA, and hockey. If you feel like maybe you're the only Seattle Seahawks fan in your neighborhood, don't worry. They have flags for you as well. Heartland Flags has more than 100 Iowa Hawkeye items from flags to tiki totems, metal signs, luggage tags, and so much more. Let your fandom fly when you shop at Heartland Flags. Free shipping. Seriously, when you shop online, we're talking about free shipping. Your orders will ship for free from Heartland Flags. Heartlandflags.com is the website. Go check it out. Dace, he's a huge Michigan fan. He's a Detroit Lions fan. Rob Howe is a New York Mets fan. I went to their website. Heartlandflags.com has it for you. Again, free shipping on all orders online. Follow them on Twitter at Heartland Flags. And once again, visit them online at heartlandflags.com. Maybe safe to say, with Kirk saying that Cooper will play, that uh, the ship has sailed on Devontae Young and Adrian Falconer? Yeah, it's a good question. I thought Young, you know, he looked really good in the preseason. He looked good in the spring. I really thought that he would find it. I'm not sure what it is that's keeping him off the field. Perhaps it's blocking. We know how important that is. And and Kirk went out of his way to to uh, to appreciate uh, Smith Marset's blocking uh, the other day, and that's one of the reasons why he's in there. Um, so I don't know. Uh, yeah, that's kind of one of those things where. You know, if you're not getting it done, the other the young guys are going to pass you. And they talked all, you know, preseason about these freshmen being able to to play right away, and it's kind of you know bearing itself out. Yeah, it makes you think that there might not be a few more scholarships open up for this recruiting it's class. Gonna, 
it'll be interesting because I think they, they can do some things this year, John. They could they could redshirt Tokes and Keith Duncan, mm-hmm. both of those guys, and get them extra years. And I think that would be smart if they don't need to use either one of those Agreed. guys. So, you know, there's some different things they can do with this roster to make sure that they're, you know, they, they're building that depth. Yeah. It's pretty exciting to think about, actually. It's It's been a while since I, I – mean, I'm not going to sit here and say all of a sudden we go from they don't have any receivers to they're stockpiling talent. That would be uh, a little disingenuous. There was one more aspect that I wanted to bring up, um, and I can't recall, but it was pretty important. I've got one for you. Yeah, go ahead. Maybe this, maybe this is yours. How do you feel about taking uh, Wadley that exactly and was it. Go ahead. Vandenberg off return and, and putting the younger guys in there? Two things. I don't mind the Vandenberg one, although I thought it might have been smart to have Vandenberg back for the last punt that Iowa State had that wound up bouncing and getting an extra 15 to 20 yards for that very reason. Um, But in the early in the second half and even in the first half, I didn't I didn't tweet this after the Wyoming game because I didn't want negativity raining down on me. Not that I'm afraid of it. I just didn't feel like it that day. But I did tweet it against Iowa State. I. I was excited about Akron being on kickoff returns when it was announced, but after I watched his return style four or five times in the first game and a half, I was no longer interested in him returning kicks. And then, because for two reasons, one, you have to accelerate at that role. When you catch the ball, you need to accelerate, pick a hole, and go. And Akram is back there trying to feel his way like he does as a runner, like he's picking a hole in his own blocking scheme and he's juking here and there. I'm like, that's not going to work. It just won't work. I mean, every great kickoff returner you can ever remember, they hit the they hit the wedge or the hole where the setup is with acceleration because sometimes that's the difference between getting an extra 15, 20 yards or being tackled right where it is. So that I, I didn't think that was going to work. Two, he's too winded to play in that series when he's returning the kick. It's almost like if he returns a kick, James Butler needs to come in because he was noticeably, and maybe it was just because the workload was so heavy against Iowa State, but I'm not saying that we won't see more of that. He was fatigued, so I like the move. Yeah, he had, what, 35 touches? He had 28 carries, four catches, and three kick returns yeah. before they put Kelly Martin in there. And that, 35's a lot That's, for him. Yeah. I, Especially when you have other guys that can handle some of the load. So, yeah, I would agree with you. Um, they saw yeah. something, Rob, to do that. They, they they saw, I think they saw, I'm not going to say it was the dance, and I almost think they saw the kind of the fatigue because he, he came in and stayed in to run that series, and they were three and out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, the one question, I mean, but you got to have to break them in at some point. It, both of the guys, um, Josh Jackson and Ivory Kelly Martin, made some questionable decisions in the return game. Um, Kelly Martin almost pulled the Jonathan Parker in the tax slayer. <laughs> yeah. he, he was fortunate that that ball took him out of bounds before uh, he caught it. But hopefully they work that stuff out and they're getting a lot of reps in practice with that. And um, I, I agree with you. I, I guy, Guys like like Vandenberg and, and, and Wadley, who you know 
Um, you need as as integral parts of your offense. They don't need to take more hits, in my opinion. Josh Jackson's the guy who does hits when you know he he does the hitting when he's playing defense, and it's, and Kelly Martin pretty much this is his role. So um, they'll have plenty of gas in the tank, and it won't take gas out of the tank of Vandenberg and and uh, Wadley. Yeah, no doubt. And, and with with regards to uh, Jackson, just like Desmond King last year, he goes out and he can take a hit. But he gets to rest before he goes back out on defense. I, I just don't like the Wadley thing, so I'm glad that they made that move. And so I'm sure Akron's ticked, but maybe, maybe not. Maybe after getting 35 touch workload, which may be the highest of his career, it's got. I can't remember how many touches he had against Northwestern, um, you know, a few years ago when he was the only healthy back. But that had to be a high, career high in touches. So. Yeah, he he was not arguing, but he was disagreeing with me yesterday that that was a career high for carries. He goes, no, I had more against Michigan. I was like, no, man, you had 23 against Michigan. And he dis, but he was he was disappointed about being I could tell he was disappointed about being taken off kickoffs. But that's because he's a competitor. Oh, sure. Yeah, no, no doubt. No question about that. Um, you made a prediction today so it's no it's no secret what is your thoughts on what are your thoughts on iowa north texas i've got 45 21 hawkeyes um i i cannot see this is not a good north texas defense at all um so iowa should be able to run early and often and set up things whatever they want on offense so i think they'll be able to score um but i do as you as we talked about earlier i think north texas will get some scores i think their offense is a you know, does what gives Iowa problems. Um, so I think they'll be able to to score some points, but I just don't think they're going to be able to hold Iowa down. Yeah, I think your score, and you know, if I, I I'm not really into scores all that much anymore because I just feel foolish every time. But well, I, I had three seventeen last week. How am I doing? I. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I, I you know, I I think it'll be something like forty two to twenty one. And I think you have them with 21 and Iowa with, what, 44 is that you said? 45-21. 45-21. So we're in the same ballpark. I agree. I think North Texas is going to score. And, folks, if and when they do, don't get freaked out. I mean, it's just Iowa's not going to play another air raid offense. This is almost like a wasted preparation week. That's one thing I don't like about when you schedule out a conference opponents. I like it when you schedule a team that at least plays a base 4-3 defense or runs a pro-style offense that you're going to see when you play in conference. This is a wasted week of preparation. Yeah, and you schedule these things so far out. There's no way to yeah, know. Yeah, new coach. I mean, yeah, new coach coming in. McCartney was there, and it was more of a, you know, it was more of a, a pro attack. Right. No, you're right about that. And I, I do think, though, the offense can try to work on some things to you know, get some cohesion along with these new offensive linemen. We've already talked about that. I think take some shots on the deep ball. Try to connect on a few of those and put some, put some positive memories in, in, in Stanley's uh, memory bank. But dude seems unflappable so far. I mean, so, that, that last drive, how he was standing in the pocket under a pass rush, collapsing pocket two or three times, I noticed. He didn't even look. And I, I felt at times that Jake Rudock and even maybe C.J. Beathard, I felt that they felt phantom pressure at times that wasn't there. Or, you know, C.J., he was great, but sometimes he didn't have that clock in his head that worked 
uh, with pressure as far as getting it away or, or maybe bailed a little bit. Not because he wasn't tough. He just took a lot of hits. More so Rudock. I, I didn't see any any feeling of phantom pressure from Stanley, and maybe it's just because he's so young and doesn't know any better, or maybe he's made of the right stuff. Yeah, in the first week, he didn't feel it as well and fumbled the ball twice. Right. And I think he really made strides from week one to week two in that, and just in terms of knowing what's going on around him. And uh, he does. He has a presence, John. It's a presence, and, and I don't want to go overboard because we're only two weeks in. And, and, you know, CJ got off to a great start but then took a bunch of hits. And, and really, you know, that 2015 season, by the end, he looked like one of those guys in that picture where the – those guys are marching with the drummer and the <laughs> the bandage, his arm in a sling. He was a mess, but um, Stanley's a big dude, John. I mean, you stand yeah. next to him. He is a legit 6'4", 235, um, and he moves pretty well. He's not – I mean, he's not—he's not, he's not a, as good an. I, well, I don't know if he's, uh, say, athlete. He's not—you know—he's not Brad, Brad Banks by any means, and I don't think he's probably got the top—you know—the speed of, of CJ when he gets going. But he ran well enough the other day to get out of harm's way. Yeah, he, he's not Brad Banks, but he's not Nate Chandler, and no yeah. respect and disrespect to, to Nate Chandler, but um, or James Berg. Yeah, no, no question. I like—I like him better. Uh, better at that so no he, he definitely has a bright future I don't think there's any any denying that and I like his presence and poise and and maybe he just forgot that you actually get tackled in a football game since it'd been so long in that Wyoming game but uh, you know how many times did Iowa State even lay a hand on him like once twice Hey, he was only sacked once, and I don't, I, rem, I don't remember their, their. I didn't, I don't have the stats in front of me, but I looked at him after the game. He wasn't pressured, but, you know. Quarterback hurries; they, right. they keep his stat. I don't remember seeing very many of those either. It was pretty minimal. The offensive line has gotten much better in pass pro. That's no one doubt. thing I will say. No doubt, no doubt. All right, and that'll wrap. Go ahead. One more thing. I was just gonna. I was just gonna say. Do you did, do you like that the Penn State games at night? I mean, we had a feeling that was coming. Do you like that? That's a night game for a few reasons. Yes. One, um, I'm flying to Colorado the morning of the 23rd with my family, and I'll be able to get to the condo by the time it kicks but, off. So yes. So it's a selfish reason. I was rolling the dice on that. Andrea's like, well, how can we take a vacation during football season? You'll miss the game. I'm like, I think that's going to be a night game. So that was my prediction in august and it worked out so but yes i number two i do because i think it's an unbelievable opportunity for the football program and i still think that they'll be the underdog and i probably expect that they won't win but this is the type of game and you've heard me talk about this before that was when wisconsin's program has had opportunities in front of it like this through the years more often than not they've they've won and advance their brand and their program. And this is another opportunity for Iowa to do it. I don't think, I'm not saying that if Iowa doesn't win it, that the brand goes backwards. I just believe this is a, a fantastic opportunity. National television, big stage, 30-minute pregame show. And frankly, I think there's an outside chance that ESPN Game Day could be there. I think That was my other, do, do you want that? Do I want that? Yeah. Absolutely. I think you, you, I think you don't, you don't think they're ready, do you? I just, I don't, I, I, I that the two thousand was it 2005 or 2006 though, the Ohio state game, Six. the last one, that, 2006. That's the last day that I drank. So it was 2006. <laughs> I just, that one leaves such a bad taste in my mouth. You know, all the hype for that. I just, 
I don't know. Maybe I've maybe being around Kirk for whatever 19, 20 years that I've started to buy into the, you know, the not wanting the hype, not wanting the the bright lights and and uh, you know the hoopla that goes with it. Just want to you know be more of the blue collar stuff. But I know it's it is it would be great for the program. It'd be great for the university. It'd be great for the town. Um, and I'm just I guess I'm just being uh, superstitious. I, no, I, I get it. I mean, I was being superstitious last week, probably as much as anything on my analysis of that game. But I just think, man, you only get so many cracks at, at this. You know, thinking of the players, I mean, how many opportunities do you have to potentially have ESPN game day there and that level of buzz there? You know, maybe if you're lucky once a season, but not not, not with game day, it's been, you know, 11, 12 years since they've been there. So, yeah, I say welcome it. And the fans certainly want it. And they're probably not ready. You know, Penn State's a pretty pretty veteran club. And they return a lot of experience. And they tore Iowa a new one last year. They also made some comments after the game that I'm sure Chris Doyle will put up in the locker room with Saquon Barkley saying, you know, you could tell these – you could see it in their eyes. They didn't want to be there. Um, that's why you play. So, yeah, bring it on. Yeah, I liked it better when Penn State ran a pro-style offense. I agree. I agree. Because Barkley's feet definitely are a danger, but we'll have plenty of time to break that down next week. Now watch Iowa go out and lose to North Texas. That would just be – I thought about the, today when I was writing my preview, and I'm like, nope, that's not going to happen. I, I've got the North Dakota State, but North Dakota State's a better program than North Texas. Yes, they are. No question about it. And Brian Ferentz is the coordinator now. That, that in which we, I don't know if we talked about it as much. We, we talked a little bit about the diversification, but I think that was an incredibly well-called game. I, I, when I went through those film clips, I put like 37 different clips on there. The thing I, that I came away with is, okay, they're running this ace formation, which is you know one running back, you know a wide out left and a wide out right, and a tight end left and a tight end right. So it's a balanced formation. They did so many different things out of that one formation. I don't know how you possibly game plan for it. I, that for the first time in a long time, maybe teams won't be saying that we knew what Iowa was going to run on offense. Yeah, I agree. It's just the the different, you know, as you said, the different formations they use and being able to be multiple out of those formations um, and doing similar stuff out of different formations. I mean, it's it's pretty intricate i mean it doesn't look like it because you're like oh it's iowa they you know they run the ball all that but there's a lot of stuff going on that you know i didn't even i i didn't notice while watching the game live until i went back and watched those the first two games you know the replays of those games where i'm like wow i didn't notice that or you know it's things that stick out and you're like oh that's that's you know clever that's you know they're taking advantage of the defense they're they're putting the defense in bad positions that, that they don't want to be in and then that's that's what the name of the game is because everybody's got good athletes these days everybody's got guys that can play you need to take every advantage you can get there's i keep thinking of one more thing there's some i, I got a phone call this week from somebody who talked to someone in the program who's very integral uh, and intricately involved with the program. I only say that to tell you, you can take this to the bank that this was said. That Brian, Ken O'Keefe, as we expected, is proving to be a, just a big time mentor for Brian Ferentz. 
Brian's leaning on him a lot. Not that Brian doesn't know football or couldn't have done this without him, but it's not necessarily that Ken O'Keefe was Iowa's offensive coordinator for so long and he's back. It's what Ken learned the five years that he was with the Miami Dolphins. And you're meshing that with what Brian learned under Bill Belichick. And they are spending so much time together and scheming and planning in their own little like NFL, you know, meetup that they, you know, NFL background meetup that this person basically said you wouldn't believe what is going on, the level of learning and coaching and teaching and mentoring and and uh, assimilating and all of those things that are going on there with that offense. And I, I was incredibly excited to hear that because I know who said it, and that person wouldn't necessarily throw around things like that um, just off the cuff. So I think we're beginning to see the fingerprints and the proof of the pudding. Yeah, it's interesting, and I, that doesn't surprise me at all. And I think you've got like-minded people. I think – you know, they've been around each other for years. I mean, Ken watched Brian grow up. Um, and then you've got Kirk, who obviously has his input into the offense. And then Tim Polishek, who's another guy who, who's run an offense before and is of like mind. I mean, I think some of the things we saw North Dakota State do last year, we're seeing this year, uh, in, you know, mixed in with Iowa's offense. Just some, it, it's not the flashy, you know, air raid, four wide stuff like that, but there's a lot going on there. And I think it's good that they, these guys are all on the same page because I just, I don't want to take any more shots at Greg Davis. It just didn't work. They just weren't on the same page. The the guys on the offensive, you know, in the offensive room just never seemed to get on the same page. Yeah, I'm sorry. All I have to do is look at James Vandenberg, 11 to 12. Vandenberg <laughs> threw 25 touchdowns in 11, seven in 2012, and Nate Stanley's already thrown for eight this year in two games. Uh, the Greg Davis era didn't work. Speaking of Polishek, um, Iowa Kirk wanted to go out and hire uh, an offensive line, a per- person for that offensive line coaching position that had never coached the position before because he wanted them to learn basically and only have the Iowa way in their head, um, which, you know what, given what they've done, can't say that's a bad strategy. Yeah, I mean, Brian, you know, is a good offensive line coach, but Kirk is – I think Kirk will be remembered – I mean, he's going to be remembered as, as, as a Hall of Fame head coach, but, you know, it's also going to say on that plaque, you know, master of the offensive line, and he really was. I mean, no matter who's coached the offensive line here, whether it be, you know, Reese Morgan or Brian, I mean, it, it works. The offensive line works, and that's because the – you know, you may not like a lot of things about Kirk, but I don't think there's anybody that can question what he knows about coaching an offensive line. <laughs> good good <laughs> luck doing that. All right, that will do it. Thank you to Rob for joining us, you for listening, Exile Brewing Company and Heartland Flagpoles and Flags for their support of this podcast. Dace and I back tomorrow night with our predictions, and I'll be back on Saturday immediately following the game with the Instant Reaction Podcast. And then next week, we'll do all of this over again. Talk to you then.